0: again,
1: dear listener. This is the start of the show. Welcome to Fine, a previously recorded evening of storytelling and otherwise. This episode took place on August 29, 2019 at Toledo here in Vancouver, which is on the traditional ancestral and unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. You'll be hearing from some of the excellent lineup of writers and comedians we had that night, including Mitchell Saddleback, Amber Hopper Young, and Jessica Johns. Throughout the episode, you'll hear music from Babe Corner. You can find on iTunes and Bandcamp, the song we started the show with is called Killer, from their demo Alone at the Party. And I'm your host, Kolnowicki. To find out more about our upcoming live shows, please visit us at afineshow.com or follow us on the social medias at show. Alright, let's get on with this thing. Enjoy the show. Up first, we have Mitchell Saddleback. Mitchell is from the Samson Cree nation in Muskegee's Alberta. You can catch him in the films Cold Pursuit and First Cow. He's also starring in the web series The Bannaking. Here's Mitchell.
2: Oh, this this mic is sweaty. (laughs) feels like I'm holding a peeled banana. a lot of people here. Mitchell Saddleback is Hello, my name is Mitchell Saddleback. I'm from the Sanson Cree Nation in Moskwacheese, Alberta. Very happy to be here at the Lido. Lido? 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 English isn't necessarily my first language, I'm sorry. Let me explain. I don't speak my language, but I want to. All you young indigenous youth, I love you. You make me smile bigger than a white boy's when he watches Eight Mile. <laughs> Thank you. Oof. Sorry, I blacked out. Very thankful to be here. This would be illegal not that long ago. You know, there would be like cops outside. You know, there's an Indian inside there talking about Timbits. He's what? Paddy wagons waiting for me. I grew up on the Res uh in Alberta. Um I used to think George Strait was my dad. <laughs> that song, just give it away. I thought that song was about my mom. When I mean, it explained why there wasn't any like pictures of him on the walls and stuff, because she just just gave it away. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, we used to have this um little mouse, they are like meadow jumping mice. And um, I don't know why, but there was this rumor going around the res that if you got bit by one, you would die in seven hours. (laughs) And I was playing um, in a field and I lifted up a board and there was one that looked at me and I looked at it and looked at me and it gave me a Tobey Maguire right on my arm. He bit me. And I thought I was gonna die. I remember like just why? And I like I sat in this field and I was crying. And I was waiting for like, you know, like I didn't have like a George Strait to come and like, you know, bring me on his like horse and ride into the sunset and help me out, suck out the venom. Some res dog came and sat beside me. His name was Marilyn. because like Marilyn Manson because he had two different color eyes, and he and and gave me fleas. Thank you. Um, you guys know the gun sound when you're a little kid and you play guns, and it's like you know, like a. I couldn't do that with my tongue when I was little, so my gun sounds sounded like this. So the people around the reservation thought like all the neighborhood kids were shooting this goat, you know, like. I I grew up around Edmonton. There was this radio station called Power 92. They played today's best music. Now show me my money. Um, They had this uh, radio edit of Shaggy's. It wasn't me. So my whole life, I thought the actual lyrics were picture this. We were both wearing aprons cleaning up the bathroom floor when I finally heard the actual lyrics, it was like, why don't you stop yelling to, lying to women and start taking responsibility for your actions, Shaggy. Thank you. Do you guys like impressions? Yeah, me too. Um, I wanted to be an actor when I was a little kid. I've always wanted to be an actor. I, I never saw myself represented on, um, like anything, in music, movies, like TV shows, plays. I've, I never really saw myself represented and I always wanted to be like representation for you know young indigenous youth so they you can like see, like, like hey, I'm doing it. Um, thank you, my mom's here. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've always wanted to be an actor. I used to practice my Academy Award um, speech with like shampoo bottles when I was a little kid and, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I've been acting my whole life, you know, I've been wearing white people clothes, pretending, you know, I'm something, I'm different. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, but I actually did get a couple of speaking roles recently. I was in the movie, like, they mentioned Cold Pursuit and, um, First Cow, which I just saw in Portland, um, last night, for the very first time. And it's my second speaking role, and, like, I've learned so much, you know, and, and like I've been slowly moving closer and closer to the camera. I was a background actor, and um, I did Fifty Shades of Grey. I walked by the window. <laughs> and then I did um, Deadpool 2. I was... Um, I was at the bar. I'm wearing a. It's it's a weird story because like the guy came up the the wardrobe guy came up to me and he and he, he was trying to dress me up like like an Indian. He put like a, a bandana around me and like frills and like he told me he was like I'm sorry I don't have a, a medicine pouch that you can wear for the scene. And I said I probably wouldn't wear a medicine pouch in a bar. And then um, he's like okay okay. He left and he came back and he dressed me like a fucking cowboy. But, <laughs> Cowboy boots on me and a cowboy hat. So if you watch Deadpool Two, the bar scene, I'm I'm, I'm the cowboy. <laughs> yeah, but i I'm, now I have like you know speaking roles and I and my nieces like you know they get to um they get to see their uncle on on the screen. It was such a big like um I don't know. I just felt really good. It was just a really good feeling for them to be able to see their uncle. You know like they can do whatever they wanna do. I always tell them, you can do whatever you wanna do. You wanna go to the moon? You can go to the moon. Like, we could just start right now though. Like, (laughs) My my mom's always asking me, He's like, Mitch, when are you gonna have kids? When are you gonna have kids? Like, every day with this, like, you gotta have some kids. And I'm like, mom, nobody wants to fuck me. (laughs) She didn't reply to that text. but I told her, I was like, I'm gonna have kids when my nieces can um, babysit, you know? Because when I said that, they were like the size of a loaf of bread, you know, like 12 grain. And they started getting bigger and started opening doors like velociraptors and they were asking me questions and uh, I'm not gonna have kids. <laughs> um, but I've been to like a lot of like really um, strange auditions, you know, like I've had people say like the most racist things in my auditions. Like, can you be more stoic? Like, pretend like you just killed a buffalo. Like, how native do you think I am? Do you think I walk around with a copy of Dance With Wolves in my back pocket? Oh, (laughs) shh. I had that on in the bus on the way here. Straight up, there was a time in my life when I knew more Elvish than I knew Cree. like, from Lord of the Rings? Like, check this out. That's Woodland Elvish for, like, Fuck Trudeau, fuck Canada, fuck a Papa Doc, fuck a clock, fuck a trailer, fuck everyone, fuck y'all if you doubt me, I'm a piece of Elvish trash, I say it proud. I'm just... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, So I learned uh, racism uh, was a thing at a very young age. Um, I kind of understood that it's like, um, it's like when you buy a box of Timbits, right? And you want to be inclusive, you want to try all, and they're all 29 cents, you know? They're all the same, we don't really like the plain Timbits. It's because your dad was always at the breakfast table talking about those lazy, plain, good-for-nothing timbits wasting all the taxpayers' money. And his dad hated plain timbits. And his dad hated plain timbits. And his dad wanted plain timbits wiped off the face of the earth. Get that double chocolate off my porch. Thank you. you. Do you guys remember the show Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. I wanted to start my own midnight society, but everyone started sleeping with each other. I wanna be like one of those like, you know, comedians with storytellers that has all like the awesome impressions and stuff, but I don't really have any impressions at all. Like all my impressions sound the same, like my Louis Armstrong just sounds like my cookie monster. My Marvin the Martian. Ready? (laughs) Is just my uh, Ray Romano. (laughs) My my Smeagol.
0: Oh, you stupid fat (laughs) rabbit.
2: Just my Justin Trudeau. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um... Uh, I'm not a gangster. So why are you looking at me like one? You think I stole something when you see me run. I can't get mad. I can't even catch a cab. But why do I get followed around in a store? Keep an eye on that Indian. I think he's poor. I'm from the prairies, but I'm living that Van City life. Just another indigenous artist trying to eat tonight, please God, no more couch surfing. I need to find myself worth and keep creating, keep educating all these people stuck in their ignorant bubble. How come nobody talks about us when they talk about struggle? No magic there, muggle. I must confess, I must address that fake headdress you wear at your music fest trying to look your best. You don't ask you to research why it's offensive and you won't, so I'll leave it at this. You're tacky, unoriginal, and history will never change. It makes me sick. All the ancient wisdom lost at the end of a nun's stick. Now I got mad love for Whoopi. You know I do, but when I was little, I skipped Sister Act One and Part Two. I was scared that nuns flew. But I'm getting a little sidetracked, a little confused, a little used. And how you want me to celebrate 152 years? Where's the math in that? We haven't been a part of society for half of that, but nobody cares. Nobody cares about the upcome of forced religion or a missing and murder of indigenous women. Nobody cares about our history, not one bit. What do you say again, best friend? Get over it. I'm severely depressed. My mind is dark and messed, but I'm strong. We're strong. I have a job to do. Inspire the youth. Be the positive male role model that I ever had. History's told by the side that's winning. Just keep swimming. I'm not a poet. I'm also not a gangster. I just play one on your TV. Your mom, your cousin, your aunt all recognize me. Hey, he's from Musqueach, Sanson Cree Nation, cheap smokes at the gas station, bow and arrow. I'm trying to be on the straight and narrow. I'm not sober, but I'm mad like hypnotic and Henamsee. I'm not rad like Bannock or Gickamstee, Plains Cree, but don't speak your language, don't even think it. We got to boil our water just to drink it, product of a genocide. My father committed suicide, our ceremony fates, beat up the culture, chop off the braids, but it is your choice. It is your choice to use that beautiful First Nation voice, the ones our ancestors prayed for. Look what they did to them all the hate and the wrong, but we stand up now proud and strong because they're scared of us. I can feel their fear. They're terrified that we're still here. Our education, our culture, our numbers, our voices, these are our tools. If reconciliation exists, then why am I still teaching people about residential schools? Thank you.
1: Next up is Amber Harper Young. Amber is a very funny comedian. You can check out all of her upcoming shows listed on her website at amberisfunny.com. Here's Amber.
3: Oh, my God. How am I supposed to do this? I'm almost crying right now. Holy shit. That was awesome. This show has been amazing so far, huh? Oh, my God. i supposed to make you laugh now?
0: <laughs>
3: all right. Well, it is, uh, I'll just do this. I'll do a little segue. It is uh, the fifth year of losing my mom in a Walmart superstore. Those stores are huge. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, she died when she checked those prices because rollbacks, you know. <laughs> oh, she is dead on when it comes to bargain shopping. <laughs> No, she did die of stomach cancer, though, and it's cool. Like, I mean, it's not cool, but uh, <laughs> it's fine, you know. And you you suffer something like that, you go into shock, people want to be sweet, they give them condolences. They'll usually say something like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. And then you say something very robotic back, like, oh, she'll always be here with me. And they say, sweet, like, in your heart, and you say, no, like, right here, and you dump a bag of sand on them. <laughs> Funeral pranks. <laughs> Let's talk about death, baby. Uh, You guys, uh, I think I'm a little stressed out, you know? I think I have to start thinking about whether I want kids or not because I'm pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) It's not funny. I'm just joking. That's just a prank. I pulled that on my boyfriend. He hated it. He's not talking to me. Um. <laughs> like, I've never given birth, but I have sneezed out my tampon. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. <laughs> Any other rocket launchers in the house? <laughs> yeah, we're Keeglin, we're Keeglin. <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: No, there isn't any, like, worry that I'll get pregnant because me and my boyfriend were on birth control, uh, the pull-out method, so. You <laughs> I don't want kids, but we could be blessed any day, and um, I don't think, you know, I don't think I should have children. You know, I, I tried to, you know, hold my niece. Her name's Esme. She was four days old, like, fresh or whatever, and, uh, like, newborn babies, like, they're like, <laughs> Like, they don't have a spine, I'm pretty sure. Like, She asked me to hold the baby at four days old. I was like, I can't do this, like, because newborn babies are like Ziploc bags of soup. <laughs> They're like, <"Whoa." laughs> They're like loose water balloons, you know? It's too stressful. <laughs> if I did ever become impregnated or get a bun in the oven or whatever, uh, or in the microwave, I guess it's updated. Just to update things. Like, I think I might be a good mom because, you know, I take care of people during the day. Uh, I work in the downtown east side. I'm a peer support worker. I'm basically an angel. Uh, and uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm in a position at that job where I have to uh, naloxone people. So I have to, like, stab a stranger with a needle. Yeah, sometimes repetitively. Which is, like, weird because I'm stabbing people to life. <laughs> Yeah, which is super strange, but better than my last job, murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty as not charged, Shh, don't tell anyone, okay? This is like a murderer's outfit. I think I'm like a little bit too loud right now to be in hiding. Uh, has anyone here ever uh, been jumped before? <laughs> yeah? I d- do you wanna talk about it or? No, it's triggering or whatever? who is the other, who is the other person? <laughs> no? Okay. Oh, you have to? All right. You're like, okay. Never So they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I always try and do this crowd work, but it's like, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to trigger someone. Right. Like, and, uh, once I was almost jumped in Toronto, Ontario, boo Toronto. <laughs> no, just cause that's where it happened. And, um, I was I was taking this alley, right? Like every night, you know, I would normally like run down this alley like a maniac just screaming at the top of my lungs, three AM. I'm like,
0: Aah! you know,
3: I guess it was so scary. And then uh, one night I was tired. My feet hurt. Yeah, so I was walking. I heard some footsteps behind me. They got faster. So I started walking faster. Now, usually when you're in a circumstance like this, what happens is fight or flight, right? I was already flighting. <laughs> yeah, I was already flighting. And then I'm like, what if I have to fight, right? Look at these gangly danglers. They're not going to do anything. <laughs> like, the closest thing I know of martial arts, yoga, what am I going to do, a heart opener at the person? <laughs> I recognize the light in you is the same that resides in me. Mm. <laughs> Just start ujjayi breath at them. It's <sighs> like hoping they'll go back into meditative pose. <laughs> Just do a fucking tree pose into the cityscape, like camouflage myself. What the fuck? But the way you can do it is if you are a weaker person or you think you won't be able to fight, right, Is like you get psychological. (laughs) You know, when you're playing psychological, you know, everything's game, right? I heard you're supposed to, if somebody maybe, like in that circumstance, attacking you, you're supposed to act crazy or look disgusting. So, like, what are you supposed to do? The devil controls me. (laughs) You know, like... (laughs) Like, if I was with my boyfriend at the time, you know, he could help, you know, physically, like, because he's a bigger guy. But also, he was trained in Israel in the military over there. He knows Tim McGraw, so, pa, Is that how it works? Anyway, so I started walking faster. And then I looked behind me. I was like walking, almost trotting, running. Looked behind me, caught a glimpse. And then from around the dumpster came a raccoon. With a gun. (laughs) He must have been American or something, I don't know. He's like I couldn't tell what he's saying because of his accent. (laughs) I just gave him my wallet. I made the report, said he had dark circles under his eyes. He must have been stressed out, I don't know. (laughs) Black gloves on. (laughs) Walk like this. This is a stupid joke. I don't know why I'm still doing this. <laughs> Once I got a prick with a needle at my job, uh, I was taking the garbage out. And um, yeah, I was taking the garbage out, and I had to hold the bag away from me. As to like safety protocol, you're supposed to hold it away. But it was a little close, so I pulled it back, and it created this pendulum-like swing. you know, And there was a needle halfway up it that I didn't see, and it pricked me in my calf. Yeah, and it was like really worst-case scenario, because there wasn't even any heroin left in it. Are you guys on the H? <laughs> Stay off the H. Yeah, a lot of people get jobs in like retail, you know, for the discount. I work in mental health for the therapy, <laughs> you know. No, I'm just joking. We don't get therapy. <laughs> we just get a lot of g- examples of what not to do. <laughs> um, cool. You guys don't like that. <laughs> I'll tell you a couple things that happened to me at my job. I really love it. I just want to. Make sure you guys all know, I love the people I work with. I love the people I work for. It's a pleasure to do the job. But sometimes it gets like heavy, right? Like sometimes, you know, you get hot coffee thrown in your face. Yeah, it's okay. It was only one degree burn. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I said to the doctor, isn't it called first degree burns? He was like one degree and then just took off. I don't even think it was a doctor, but <laughs> I just put aloe on it. What I'm trying to say is you can't get mad the mentally ill, you know. Like, another time, I was making sure a woman had a drink with her meal. And I was like, uh, Miss, can I get you a tea, a coffee, or a glass of water? And she made a joke. She said, yeah, I'll have a scotch in the rocks, you bitch. (laughs) So it's super rewarding. I'm really fulfilled. (laughs) Yeah, you can't get mad at the mentally ill. You can't stab them or whatever. Because then they'll be like, you're over here now. (laughs) That's how they recruit. Yeah, you guys don't want to laugh at that. I I know you're going to laugh at that. There's too many weird murder stabby jokes in the set. (laughs) But, like, I don't go up to people at my job, you know, and, like, make fun of them, like, you know, like, to their faces. I just do it for you guys here tonight. (laughs) Don't worry. No, I'm just trying to say I'm on the cusp, you know. I'm on the cusp of, like, working there and then also needing the services. So (laughs) that joke's kind of about me. Okay, You guys have gotten so personal tonight. I want to get a little bit more personal. (laughs) I'll just uh, end with this. This is a... I think this is funny. I don't know. Uh, So I just want to share with you guys a sex that I did with my boyfriend. Uh, It was our first one that I ever did. And um, he's... uh, English is a second language. So, uh, you know, he's ESL. And then I'm from Brantford, Ontario. So I'm basically illiterate. And... uh, He starts by saying, Are you still sexy? (laughs) 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 I was just like walking in broad daylight, like fully clothed, so I took a selfie and I was like, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, And have a warm vagina. (laughs) 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 Then he says, I want to pound you like yesterday's beef. (laughs) But like here's how you can tell I'm amateur at this. Like I am like, well, do you pound that harder than today's? Like I'm just like because <laughs> he's a cook, so I thought it's like food prep lingo or something. <laughs> he says, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> then he says, I really meant fuck in case I was on the wrong page, he was clarifying. But it can be whatever you want it to be. Aw, the sweet part of the set? <laughs> and then I try to like initiate a sensual idea, right? Like I say to him, I I'm gonna do I'm gonna say a thing, and I say I will f you harder than I did my worst at a stand up. <laughs> and he seen my worst, so he says that'll be nice.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> to be inside you with my pee pee. <laughs> I mean, he's a little younger than me, but I didn't realize I was dating a toddler. (laughs) And then it just ends. I don't know if his phone died or... (laughs) All right, you guys have been so cool. Thank you so much.
1: Our final performer of the evening was Jessica Johns. She's a Nehiyaw auntie and member of Sucker Creek First Nation and Treaty 8 Territory in northern Alberta and is currently living and learning on the traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Slave-Tooth peoples. She is the managing editor for Room Magazine and co-organizer of the Indigenous Brilliance reading series. Her short story, The Bowl of Cromdale, was nominated for a 2019 National Magazine Award in Fiction, and her debut poetry chapbook, How Not to Spill, is out now with Raheela's Ghost Press. Here's Jessica.
4: Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much, Cole. Um, I'm going to reintroduce myself, because I believe you called me Jessica Jones, who is a superhero um, on a Netflix television series. I am not the same person. I do want to make that clear before people start getting out their phones and taking photos. That's not me. Um, My name is Jessica Jones. Um, Cole gave me a wonderful introduction otherwise, uh, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> did you? I don't know if I heard that. Um, I am Cree on my mother's side and English and Irish on my dad's. I am a member of S- Sucker Creek First Nation, which is in Treaty 8 territory in Northern Alberta, and I've been living here for the past, like, three-ish years. Um, on unceded Coast Salish territories, and I'm so grateful that I get to be here, um, like working and creating amazing things and being in community and being with a cool, going to cool shit like this with all you people. It's really, really rad. Yes, it's awesome. Um, Thank you, Cole, for asking me to be here. Uh, The last time I was on the Lido stage uh, for Fine was two years ago. Um, when I was like a young, bright-eyed, budding writer with my dreams ahead of me. Um, And uh, it was one of the first times I'd actually ever read anything or um, been featured in any way. And so it was a really wonderful opportunity. And I think that this reading series is really important. And so give a a round of applause for this guy. This is cool stuff. (laughs) So now I'm not so young and not so bright eyed, but I'm still writing. And so I'm going to read some of that for you today. Um, I do have a chapbook here for sale. Uh, I'm not going to be reading any poetry from it. So I guess you're not going to have any idea if it's any good. Uh, but I'm just going to tell you it's okay. It's pretty. It's fine. Yeah, it's all right. It's fine. We'll give it a. We'll give it an A plus. So. <laughs> so you can just check it out for yourself. In exchange for money. Um, so instead, I'm going to read a very short story to you. Uh, it is the Bull of the Cromdale, uh, fiction story I don't read very often at all. And I really want to tonight because of a couple of reasons. Um, it is about my papa, Don Smith. And I just recently went home um, to treat territory for a family reunion. It's an annual family reunion I go back every year for. It's big and messy and uh, beautiful. Um, and it's right on Lesser Slave Lake in my territory. And um, in 2017, uh, every single year, we have a, this thing called uh, like a washeroo tournament. Does anyone know what washeroos are? Is this just a, yeah, okay. Is, are you from Alberta? Are you from the, yeah, okay. So for the West Coast people, I don't know. You just throw round pieces of metal into a circle uh, for points. Is there anything like that here? Is there a West Coast equivalent, curling. like curling? <laughs> um, bean, bag, you know. bean bags. Cornhole. When you throw the cornhole? cornhole. Sure, you're throwing a thing into a hole. It's actually not important at all to this story, so I don't know why I'm taking the time to explain it. Um, but it's extremely important to my family that we play this every year. It takes all goddamn day. And it's like this real big point of prestige. And in 2017, um, I was violently hungover uh, from the night before for the day of the tournament. And nobody thought that I was even going to play one game. And I rallied so hard. And I carried my team member to the championship, and we won. You can applaud. Now I've done like a couple of cool things I feel pretty cool in my life. I've like graduated school and universities and I've moved different places and I've traveled and I have that book I was telling you to buy and (laughs) these things that I think are pretty cool and I have never seen my papa more proud of me <laughs> than when I won a fucking washeroo tournament at our family reunion. <laughs> so he's a funny guy, and uh, this past year I did not win at all. I don't even think I made it to quarterfinals. So I peaked in 2017, and that's fine. Here we are now, but I did get to spend some time with him, which was really wonderful. And uh, so I thought it would be pretty fun, and cool to bring him here tonight. So I'm gonna read for you all a story about him, uh, my papa, the Bull of the Cromdale. The Bull of the Cromdale. My papa used to be called the Bull. Back when he had black hair, styled it like Elvis, and wore cowboy boots with silver heels. He lived with his cousin Dustin in Edmonton's north side neighborhood of Cromdale, off the Avenue of Champions. If you didn't live in the area, you knew the Avenue of Champions was where Johns went to pick up women and where the machete attack happened. If you lived in the area, you knew the things that didn't get reported, but you knew the good things too. The Cromdale Hotel was a staple of the Avenue of Champions and that's where the bull was made. The hotel had 44 rooms and an attached bar, had a pool table with only a couple divots, cheap beer and country music. Papa and Dustin sharked people at pool every night and could have made a living out of it if they wanted to, but Dustin was a bell rose, which meant he was small and made trouble. Started fights with Moon Yao, he knew the bull would finish. Some people called the Cromdale a hole to house men who didn't know where else to go. My papa called it magic. I learned about the bull, this man my papa used to be, in the same way I learned everything about my family. In East Prairie, sitting against the backdrop of my papa's farm, gathering little bits of information and trying to piece them together like shredded paper. Dad told stories about how Papa used to bring together the whole neighborhood, how he could strip sound right from the airwaves, two-step his way into anyone's heart. I couldn't stop thinking about the bull. Even when I slept, he lived in the periphery of my dreams which started coming in waves in the winters and changed with every new story I heard. But the bull stayed the same. He was like how I saw him in every old photo stuck to the fridge or creased between book pages. Black button-up shirt, arms spread across the shoulders of his cousins, a smile so wide it looked like a wound. Before I knew about the bull, I only knew Papa midsummer. Every summer, we'd head out to East Prairie to see my family because my parents were the only ones who didn't live there anymore. We always knew how far away we were by Papa's bridge. We didn't call it that because he helped build it, though we did that too. We called it that because the first right turn after it would lead us to him. I was only one grandchild of 10 in the early days. He'd bring anyone who woke up early enough to help him take care of the horses. He taught us how to feed the giants without spooking, the magic spot to press on their legs to get them to lift their hooves, check for sticks, how to unhook burrs from their manes without hurting. He let us name the horses and called them ours. They were the first real things we ever owned, though we never really did. Not in the way owning something means caring about it until the very end. I knew when summer was over when mom and dad would pack up the van and call us. We'd be out somewhere on the farm with Papa when he'd hear them. Instead of heading back, he'd take us for a walk along the path behind the barn that led to the river, the path clear from the wear of him walking it every day. Papa would point out the raspberry bushes, and we'd look for walking sticks, just like he had. By the time we got home, it was too late to leave, and we'd have to unpack, find another place to land for the night. This was how Papa gave us one more night of summer. This was how I knew Papa was magic, too. With every visit back to Papa's farm came some kind of change. It didn't all happen at once because nothing ever happens all at once. Grandma died before anyone. The horses started to go around the same time as his brothers and sisters. His cousins trickled away in between. I dreamt about the Cromdale's death before it happened. A week before it was blown into rubble, it came to me as Papa's barn. It opened like it was a hole in the world, black, sucking in every fleck of light and noise. It started to suck me in too, but I was a mile away and then an inch. I curled up in a ball and counted to 10, told myself it'd be over as long as I didn't look. When Papa's cousin from Edmonton called and told him the news of the Cromdale's death, he said the city called the demolition an effort for the revitalization of the neighborhood that it would be replaced by a shopper's drug mart. I looked to Papa to see if he was sad, and he seemed bigger than he had minutes before. Sturdy in his chair, melted to it. We all toasted the Cromdale. It lived to see Edmonton change. The kids' plastic cups clinked against beer cans and rum glasses, and Papa grew bigger still, grazed the ceiling with his gray hair. When I went to sleep that night, I saw the Cromdale again. It sat against quiet. Inside, the bull put his head down and queued up, a sure shot on the pool table, low ball, corner pocket. When the place groaned like it was watching, water broke through every crack and seam. The room filled. Horses came in, chests open, organs dripping and moving in the water like jellyfish. Their chests pounded without hearts, nipping at Papa's kids, all of them from every generation, sitting around the table. The bull missed his shot and started swimming at the dead things, but he couldn't move fast enough. I reached out to help him, but my hands went through his back like butter. I felt nothing but still air and not body. I blinked and the shadow of him grew enveloping his family in static. When I tried to yell, my voice caught in my throat, turned around and went back down, whispered to my gut instead, look at all the new. Thank you everyone for your attention.
1: That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks again to all the performers, Babe Corner, The Lido for having us, Matt Crisco for recording us, CITR for playing us, and you, dear listener, for listening. We'll leave you with Babe Corners alone at the party. You've been listening to Fine on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam territory at the University of British Columbia.